This is the Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. I'm your host, Paul Parisi. And I'm Jacob Young. On the Edge of Innovation, we talk about the intersection between technology and business, what's going on in technology, and what's possible for business. Hi, my name is Paul Parisi, and we're talking today on the Edge of Innovation with Amanda Greaves, who's an interior designer based in Beverly, Massachusetts. Let's listen in. Both. We are an interior design firm, and we are all of two and a half strong. Mm-hmm. So it's my. We have a small dog named Daisy, and that is my associate's dog. But we do interior design for residential, hospitality, and commercial projects. As my company, I started it. Yeah, I started my company in 2010, but I've been practicing design since about 2002. Okay, so now let's, we have a pretty eclectic group of people who listen, um, very technical people, just ordinary, you know, persons on the street, or trained people, certainly, and whatever. So you do interior design. Does that mean you come to my house and tell me what curtains I need to pick? It's a little bit more involved in that. So from a design perspective, let me put it this way. There's a lot of designers out there, and I use that with air quotes, that call themselves designers, and they are more of a decorator. So the decorators, there is. Decorators are, by any stretch, um, they are just as important as everybody else on the team. But from a decorating perspective, you're talking more about the furniture and the pillows and the window treatments and such. From a design perspective, I prefer to get in at the early stages of the planning stages and with the education and the experience and the certification that we have as designers specifically we have the ability to not physically but on paper move walls and create plans and create lighting layouts and we select a lot of the hard finishes so for us I look at design from how we do it is Everything that's physically connected to the interior of a building, if you were to pick it up and shake it, everything that falls out, such as chairs and Mm -hmm. accessories and stuff, that's more on the decorating end. And for me, the design aspect is everything that's still physically attached. Okay. Now, how does that... We just recently interviewed Ben Mm -hmm. Nutter. Yeah, he's an architect out of Topsfield. Yeah, how does that match with what an architect does? So, architects are more they are more inclined to deal with the entire structure itself. So they do a lot of the exterior. They deal with foundations, you know, a lot more of the code aspects for clearances and references. They deal more with the town when they go for permitting. And, um, yep. Yep. So there are a lot of occasions where architectural firms and design firms where their services overlap. So... There are some architects that just create the vanilla box, if you will. So they will make sure that you have your subfloor, your walls are up, there's plaster on the wall, and you have a ceiling above you, and then the designer comes in and adds everything else. Yep, so we would add the hardwood flooring, all of the trim, so your baseboard, your crown moldings, you know, whether it's carpeting, the paint colors on the wall, all of that. But there's a lot of architects that like to take it 
even further, and they will do the majority of the hardscape that's physically attached and leave things like the fixtures, such as plumbing, lighting, decorative accessories, to the designer. And it's pretty, it sounds like it's very collaborative. It's, it needs to be. Right. It needs to be. Because if I, as a designer, have a vision for, let's just say, a living room, and I want a grand piece of artwork over the fireplace, and the architect coordinates with the HVAC guy to put some sort of a ducting right above the fireplace that's not going to work with my art. Okay, so now, as we, as we get into this, I'm thinking about, we've already talked about design versus decorating, mm-hmm. and you know, the ordinary person on the street understands that now. Hopefully. They wouldn't have 10 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have, it would have been that stark as it is maybe to you because you work on it every day. Yep. So how do you deal with, you must work with the client, mm-hmm. the ultimate user of the facility or mm-hmm. the room or whatever it is. How do you deal with their taste? Do you get to know them or do you look at what they like? It just seems like a tremendous, it's like how do you get to dress for somebody? It's how do you a, a shirt for somebody? Yep. So one of the benefits that I find by working as an interior designer the people that are fortunate enough to hire us, whether it's in a residential aspect or, you know, a lot of commercial buildings, the clients that have hired us are more focused on their business and they just want to make sure that where they're working is aesthetically pleasing and they just show up and it's all done and it's great. In order to understand the taste of a client, we go through, we have a lot of checklists. So lots of times clients will come to me with an idea and they'll say, I'm traditional, I'm very contemporary, I'm eclectic, I have no idea, or I think I like Shaker-style houses, but what they're really referring to could be craftsman-style. So for me as a designer, my initial job is to do a little bit of a psychological understanding. Who are you? How quickly can you make decisions? Is it you, or is it you and your partner? Is it you and your family? Are there multiple investors involved in the project looking at it from a commercial or a hospitality mm-hmm. standpoint. So before I give anybody answers to anything, I need to understand who the players are. I do a little bit of a personality assessment, and they may come to me with a completely blank slate and say, I don't know what to do. And then I'll start asking, how many people in your family? How many people in your office? Do you have pets? Does it matter? And what do you plan on doing in your kitchen? Do you like to cook or do you eat out all the time? So the answers to those questions start to create the scope of of how large the rooms need to be, the style that we're looking for. Always worried about keeping current with IT? Savior Labs is an IT and web services firm that cares for your business and team. Savior Labs solves problems so you can focus on what you do best. Prepare for 2018 with a free IT assessment. Just follow the link in our show notes and enter code SAVIOR, S-A-V-I-O-R. Well, thanks to our sponsor, Savior Labs, for that. Let's continue listening in with our interview with Amanda Greaves. We worked with one commercial client, and he was a bit of a Renaissance man. And his concept was more contemporary and streamlined, but he wanted to have the softer aspects of it. So we did a you know, a typical cubicle, but it had a wood cap on the top instead of doing it like you would assume an office building would be like. And we added some rustic accents for furniture and such in the larger areas. And then, so you did this, you delivered it. What did he say? He loved it. So 
Because was he able to identify the little subtleties that you added in, or did it just work on him? For him specifically, I was actually... Oddly enough that I used him as a, an example, he came to me and he said, Amanda, if I had been able to do this myself, I couldn't have done it better, which for me was one of the best compliments I've ever gotten. Not every client says that. Not every project goes smoothly in the sense of you think you know someone when it gets started, and then when you really get into it three months, four months, 12 months down the line, there's, oh, I forgot to tell you this, or, oh, by the way, this is what we're doing and the scope may change. I'm fortunate when some clients have the ability to see what I see uh-huh. beyond me having to put it on paper. Yeah, and you know, again, it's a matter of me interpreting what they are interested in seeing for themselves sure. and then me telling it back to them. So how I interpret it may not be the same way as you would interpret it. Mm-hmm. For example, I had a client, multiple different investors in this project and he said I don't like blue okay. it's a pretty big color and I had to figure out the reasons why and was it a specific blue is it teal that he thinks is blue is he colorblind does he just not like the feeling because it was in his grandmother's house or or something like that and so I have to dig and I have to dig to be able to find the answers did you ask him that one question? Yeah, why not? Yeah, what I just don't like it. I just don't like it. And then that goes into, I have a minor in psychology. There are times where I wish I was laying on the couch yeah, asking the questions. No, it's... Or is it just sort of part of your, your understanding of the interaction? Or do you actually have a checklist that you might go on, you know, go in the back room and check out, okay, he's crazy, he doesn't like blue, you know, or, yeah. so how formal is it? I mean, it might be in your mind, very mm-hmm. formal, but I might never perceive it. Right. When I started my business seven years ago, I created every checklist under the sun because okay. as an entrepreneur, I wanted to make sure that if I was doing this, I was doing it right. Okay. And I started my business plan in 2009, and it's still not done. Because as anybody listening that's an entrepreneur, they'll understand the evolution of self along with the evolution of your business. And so to finish it would have been grand, but I needed to make money. So I had all the checklists and I went out and I got my clients and I realized that even if you have a checklist of 10, 15, 30 items, every single person you deal with has a very different personality. So it's a matter of being able to think quickly on your feet adjust the conversation as it flows, being able to to change your aspect of questioning, you know, your line of questioning. If he clearly tells you that he doesn't like blue and there's no reason for you to know anything else. Right. So, you know, you have to kind of, okay, well, do you like red? <laughs> but the checklists, I have them. I think I use them within the first six months. When I have new employees come and work with me, I have them look them over so they understand why. By now, it's more just my name is on that door, and so the representation of myself is who I am as a person. So my ability to communicate with my clients, whether they're new or potentially new or I've had them for three or four years, is creating that dialogue where we can understand each other. And that, for me, is more important than figuring out exactly what they want from the first meeting. Because you want to be able to have something that's durable, which is that relationship. The relationship, exactly. So, do 
did you specifically get a minor in psychology because you knew you were doing this? No. No. It's very serendipitous. I actually just spoke at Endicott on sometime last week to one of their graduate classes, and there were a half a dozen students that are in career-changing mode. One was a he was an English major with a business minor. Mm-hmm. There was a stay-at-home mom that had studied design 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. There's a woman coming from advertising. There was another woman with a psychology minor, and there was another one who was actually a designer, interior designer minor, and she just carried through to the graduate class. And all of those fields in life are very important for the interior design aspect. So I was able to speak to every one of them individually as I was talking about the overall compassing facts of my business. So having the psychology minor was more hey, I think I'm interested in this. And I didn't realize the value of it until I really started working in the industry back in 2002, but not until I genuinely started my own business did I really see the value of it. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of things, certainly in interior design, that are subject to interpretation. Mm -hmm. It's not like, did you move the bricks from point A to point B? No. It's not quantifiable like that. So that's fascinating. I think that all our listeners could take a good a good notion there that you need to think about psychology. Really, anything you do. I mean, I really, it's obvious once you say it, but you need to be deliberate about that. So were the checklists, were they, were they psychological checklists or were they, do you like brick or do you like perfect? Well, there are still some checklists that I use uh-huh. and it is a matter of for example, if we're doing a master bathroom, uh-huh. there are certain questions I need to ask my clients. Sure. One of the first ones, which sometimes gets interpreted a little strangely, but what do you do in here? Uh-huh. You know, if somebody comes to me and says, I want to redesign my master suite. Okay, great. What do you guys do in here? Uh-huh. What's the purpose of this room? Right. It could very well be they have three kids and two dogs, and on Saturday mornings this is where cartoons happen, and they want to be able to have, you know, hot chocolate and a Keurig without having to go downstairs, right. and they want a fireplace because this is where they spend all of their family time. Sure. Or it could be the complete opposite. It's a very hardworking couple. They, you know, and, and they value their time in their private spaces to do what they do. So asking those types of questions, it re- you, you get to know people very quickly as to who they are and how they live their lives. But the checklists specifically are we need to talk about plumbing fixtures, tiles, light fixtures. Mm-hmm. Which creates the scope of what we need to have you, do. In asking these questions, have you ever met resistance or friction? Yes, and usually, you know, if if that happens within our initial meeting, because I don't charge for for cons, for initial meetings, okay. because it's more me asking sure. question after question. Let me figure out who you are. If I meet with resistance, you know, if if the chemistry isn't there between myself and a potential new client. We assess the situation. We we understand whether they will be good for us just as much as we could potentially be good for them. And in situations where I have felt that it wasn't going to be a good fit, I will refer them to another designer or another firm. Today we've been listening to an interview with Amanda Graves, an interior designer on the North Shore of Massachusetts. This is part one of three. Tune in next time for part two. Be sure to check out our show notes where we can get in touch with Amanda and see some of her work. Thank you so much for listening to the Edge of Innovation. We do appreciate so much feedback and comments from our listeners, and we would encourage you to do so. Thank you.
The Edge of Innovation is brought to you in partnership with Savior Labs. Savior Labs exists to help businesses mature and strategize for the future. Learn more about Savior Labs at SaviorLabs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. For the show notes and more information about Paul, please visit paulparisi.com. The Edge of Innovation is produced by Jacob Young in conjunction with copious amounts of coffee. Music on today's episode was from bensound.com. Paul can be found on Twitter at pdparisi and on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash pdparisi. This episode, like all our episodes, is transcribed and available at paulparisi.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.